Hey, 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 welcome to the Taylor Way Talks. I am so excited for this conversation today. I am hanging out with the infamous Vic Kepke. He went from slot to not. And I don't mean that in a negative thing, but after 21 years of a policing career, including a dozen years of the SWAT team, he had a life-threatening injury that prevented him from continuing. He couldn't keep going. He couldn't pursue his dream. He couldn't keep going in that job, right? So like this massive shift of identity, but also the fact that like, how do you find your purpose again? How do you find your excitement again? And how do you deal with a brain injury? But he now owns this amazing company called Vic Pippi's Financial Warriors, where he is really helping families across North America, starting in Canada, overcome financial stress, worries, figuring out their financial futures. It's outstanding what he's doing. But let's welcome him to the show. Welcome, Vic. Thank you so much for being here today. Awesome. Thanks so much, Don. Uh, really, really excited to, to spend some time with you. I love spending time with you anytime we can. I know we met a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, we've had some really awesome conversations and uh, next to my wife, because this is being recorded, you're one of my favorite women in the world. <laughs> I'll take it and I will not tell your wife you said that. <laughs> okay, good. She might hear about it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much. So the reason why I asked Vic actually to be on the podcast today is you have had a really crazy story. So we're just going to dive right into that. We're wishing people talked about what it's like to completely lose your career or your identity after an extended period of time when your world kind of gets turned on its axes and you have to change anything and everything in your world. You've lost your identity. You've lost your career. You've lost all those things. And now you have to recover. Can you tell us a bit about your story and where this all started? Yeah, absolutely. So like, uh, you know, it really for my for me, my story started as a little boy. The only thing I ever wanted to do was be a policeman. I remember five years old. That was the only thing I ever focused on. It wasn't like I wanted to be a fireman or an astronaut or anything like that. That was what I wanted to do. And and that was predicated by a lot of really awesome stuff that my parents and my grandparents instilled in me about being of service to other people. You know, I was told at a very young age, the best life you can live is a life of service and impact other people's lives. Don't focus inward, focus outward. And if you do that, the world is going to give you what you need to be happy. Yeah. And so being a policeman was the way I wanted to do it. And uh, you know what? I, I went to schooling for law enforcement and criminology and, and all this other stuff. And when I got into policing, it was in the 90s. And uh, some people on the podcast might understand what the 90s are and what I'm about to say. But uh, just in case you don't, the 90s was a very interesting time to get into the law enforcement world. Uh, no one was hiring. The economy was not good. So you were getting thousands and thousands and thousands of people applying for a dozen. 15, 20 positions with a police service. Oh, wow. Very different, very different from now where they're almost begging you to do it. Very different. But it also meant that they could pick the best of the best. And so you had to up your game. You couldn't just walk in and because you were a certain height or male or whatever, you were going to get a job. You had to be in, you know, incredible physical shape. You had to have education. You had to have great interpersonal skills. You had to have experience. You had to have a lot of different things um, that maybe weren't as heavily judged, I guess, prior to that. So I went through three applications to get into the Edmonton Police Service. It was the only police service that I wanted to work for. At the time, it was very, very highly regarded throughout the world. 
because I wanted to be a part of the best. And I remember being a young boy uh, watching the TV show SWAT and thinking, if I'm going to be a policeman, that's the kind of policeman I want to be. So my entire focus, my entire career was getting into the SWAT team. And I was very fortunate and blessed to be successful and work in that environment for a very long time. And so for the better part of, say, 35 years, I focused on that. My drive was to be the absolute best I could be at that role. And, you know, I started at the bottom in the SWAT team as a breacher and then moved up to be, you know, an entry guy and a scout. And then, you know, at times I was the team leader and, you know, it was outrageously rewarding career. And I was living my dream. And I had plans. I had a lot of plans. But while I was busy making plans, life had a plan for me. So this like massive identity, this massive, crazy identity from this five-year-old kid. Yeah, absolutely. That's all I wanted to do in life, right? Was to make an impact in my community and the world through helping people that maybe don't have the resources to help themselves. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the other side of it too, is at this point, like you had kids, you got married, right? Like there, there was a whole family involved in this too, which is all part of this whole identity thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's really, it's really strange. And I think some people will relate to this is that when people ask me, you know, tell me about Vic, who's Vic? I'm a SWAT cop. I didn't talk about who I was. I talked about what I did. Okay, that is so common. Yeah, my identity was what I did. That is so common. Like it is really sad, because I think it was a disservice to my family, my friends, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great you know, friend, I'm a great family member, husband, father, grandfather now, right? An awesome nine-year-old grandson. He's so cool. But yeah, it was, it was really, it was my identity, was my job. Yeah. And um, you know what? Like I said, life had a different plan for me. And, you know, we were we were at a point that was in my in my career where I was planning to move to that next level. And we were planning what's called a runoff, which is like an event that that tests the aptitude and the skills of people that want to get into the unit. And in order to set the standards, we have to basically do a mini runoff ourselves to set that standard because we can't ask more people that we can't do ourselves. And in the middle of this little mini runoff, my carotid artery ruptured. And I had no blood flow to one entire hemisphere of my brain. But being a really, really stubborn, good soldier, I finished that runoff with only half a brain. So when people say, hey, you know what? You can't do things with only half a brain. I proved you can. can. (laughs) If you have determination, right? But I finished despite the fact that the second night I had this injury, it was like overwhelming headache, tunnel vision. I lost feeling in my extremities. I went from 100% speed and power to like 1%. But I just, I pushed through, I pushed through, I pushed through until I got home and started to have stroke-like symptoms. And that was when, you know, it was time to go to the hospital. I went to the hospital in a packed hospital. We all know what it's like, uh, how frustrating it can be to be in a hospital waiting room in the emergency. I was in a gown, in a room being rushed to an MRI, a CT scan, sorry, within five minutes. Wow. Okay. So let's backtrack a second. Yeah. That drive... So you and I know each other outside of this podcast. So that drive though, that, oh wait, my brain just pretty much blew up and I still can't stop. I still can't take care of myself. I still can't, I still can't fail. Exactly. Can we talk about that for a sec? Because that is something that I I was chatting with a friend this morning and someone was attacking her on social media. 
And she commented, she's like, do you remember at that time we were at that event and that woman, she's a, she's a public bully in our city. And she was like, do you remember the time we were at that event and that woman was coming up to me and you saw me having a panic attack and you completely stepped in front and like blocked her from me and like walked her away kindly. But you totally just stood up for me. She's like, you're a badass though. Like you'll do that even for yourself. And I laughed because I was like, yeah, but I wouldn't have years ago. I wouldn't have stood up for myself 10, 20, 30 years ago. Like I wouldn't, I would, oh yeah, I'll be a badass for you any day. Now I'll stand up for myself as well. But in that moment, where did that, where did that core belief even come from in you that it's like, no, 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 but I have to keep going and I can't stop. Well, number one, I think it's that environment. That environment is, hey, you go until you can't go anymore. You need to, you need to, it's it's a massive brotherhood, right? And you need to show the people that you're working with every day that no matter what happens when you walk through that door on a mission, that you're going to go until you can't possibly go anymore. Until, you know, someone strikes you down, something happens that prevents you from physically being able to go another step, you're not going to stop. Right. And there's there's that trust that you build inside. I mean, I I woke up every morning, worked out every morning, ate breakfast with every morning, trained with the same guys, went on vacation with the same guys for the better part of a decade. And like you spend that much time in a tight knit group like that. You don't want to let those people down and you don't want to. show weakness. So that was really a big driving force. I didn't want to let my team down. And you know, in in some respects, I think it it can be detrimental, but in other respects, it builds that bond, and that bond is the most important thing in in that environment, right? Because you do need to have that trust with those brothers and sisters that you work with, because yeah. uh, if you don't have that, you might hesitate to do something, and it can put the rest of the team in a really crappy position. So that was really my thinking: was don't stop, just you can't quit. And I think now where I've evolved to now, that mentality is still there, but it serves me in a better way. In a way of like, but wait, I like, because I get it. I get the whole like, you were a SWAT member. Of course, you guys have to like trust each other. And there's there's a totally different level of connection that has to happen. And that push to the death. But it's still that at what point am I willing to actually sacrifice my life and my health for the betterment of the group? Versus actually like acknowledging that, hey, wait a sec, this isn't okay. And that's that, that, that's that's a tough line to cross, right? Because this is your family in some respects. I mean, you know that if the bullets start flying, you're going to step in front of one if it means you're going to save the guy behind you. But that's why we wear armor. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, at least you had that. At least we got some armor. But, but yeah, I mean... It, it is it is a tough line to distinguish. Like when do you, when is your behavior going to get so toxic to you that it's actually hurting the rest of the team or your family? Because that's really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, yeah, it's like a family atmosphere. But I'm sorry, as much as I love all those guys that I worked with, they're not my family. I still had to go home to a family. And and I can say this now, having been in the in the industry, in law enforcement and out of law enforcement, the mindset of a police officer, it is horrible. And if there are other police officers listening, I hope you're paying attention because it is horrible. We get up every day and we anticipate having to deal with the worst case situation of every person we interact with. Why? 
because we want to increase the chances of being able to go home at the end of the day. So we have to assume the worst of every human being we encounter. And at first it starts out at work, but it starts to like morph into this ugly monster where you think the entire world is evil and the entire world is out to get you. And, and I understand it now being on the outside looking in that, you know what, it's necessity. It has to be that way. Otherwise, you're going to take risks that could put you in a really crappy position and maybe you don't get to go home today, right? But being on the other side now, and I talk to so many police officers now, it's like, you know what, if you just understood that it's not you against the world, there's actually the vast majority of people in this world that are amazing human beings, that if they had the skill set and the desire to put themselves in a position where you were, they would do it. And that's been my experience since leaving the police service. And it's been an entire mind shift, right? Like it's been, I had to change my entire mindset. I had this, this injury. Okay, so let's backtrack to that. So you land in the hospital, five minutes, you're in. Yeah. Let's go there. So what happened? Yeah. Well, it was, it was a whirlwind for me because I was still, I was still in, in, uh, in disbelief, right? I, I was, I was like, okay, this can't happen to me. I, never done drugs in my life. I not a, a heavy drinker. I exercise three to four hours a day. Plus my job is physically straining. You know, in my mid forties, I was at a very high fitness level. And so I'm, I'm just thinking like, this is just a headache. You know what? They're just going to give me some aspirin. It's something minor. And then when they're rushing me and I'm like, okay, why are they injecting me with this radioactive dye? Why am I, like this doesn't, this is a lot more serious than I'm thinking. And they got me out of the, the the CT scan, and I went back to the the emergency uh, room that I was I was in. And nurses, like within minutes, they rush in, they rip the curtain back, and they're starting to poke me with blood thinners. And those hurt, by the way. If you've never had a blood I mean, thinner, you're putting crap in my body. Like what's going on? The oh, those hurt like acid burning in your body. Oh, in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. And. The doctor came and he said, okay, I don't want to alarm you, but this is really serious. You've had what's called carotid dissection. The inner line of your carotid artery has ruptured and collapsed. It's been a massive, massive dissection. Wow. And effectively, you've had no brain flow for 24 hours. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm walking, I'm talking. I'm like, he's like, we, and, and, you know, later on, the neurosurgeons I consulted with and stuff, they said, there's no medical reason you should have survived that incident. We cannot understand how you lived. I've talked lots lately with with friends, and I'm going to do a podcast, a solo podcast on it soon, of how there was a one in 750,000 people chance that I survived a brain aneurysm. And 20 some years later, like I was supposed to be dead. We talk about these and breeze through them. And I'm like, no, no, we need to sit with that for a second. Like, Like, how crazy is that? It really makes me believe that, you, you know, and, and, and I mean, whether you're spiritual or religious or whatever, I mean, th- this isn't a comment on anyone else's belief system. But I truly believe that 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 injury was a gift because the path I was going down was not, number one, going to be good for me. But I also wasn't going to be able to serve at the level that I'm meant to serve. It was a great training ground for where I was going. And so, I mean, the first couple of months sucked. It sucked, right? I wasn't at work. Uh, because of the brain injury, I was outrageously tired. Uh, like I would sleep 20 hours a day. I had, even with that, I had this migraine headache 
and it's a headache I've had since the day of the injury. Not one second of one day I have not had this this headache. Still currently, right now, I have a migraine headache. I have tinnitus that rings in my ears like a like an air raid siren going off 24-7. That obviously makes sleep a little bit challenging. And for the first few months, man, it was a pity party. I pitied myself. <laughs> How could this happen to me? So many people that live unhealthy lives don't have to deal with this. Why did this happen to me? I don't deserve this. And I have a problem with the word deserve now, by the way. Okay, I, I preach that all the time to people. I'm like, deserve has nothing to do with it. You get what you work for. Exactly. But you know what? There was at one point, and I, to the life of me, I don't understand what it was. I think it was just getting to the mindset that I can't serve at the level that I'm comfortable serving. I need to find another thing I can serve at. Yeah. And I started to think of my injury instead of a curse as a blessing. Because when I was out of the environment, I started to realize what the world was really like. I wasn't shrouded by this veil of false information, false beliefs, whether they're necessary or not, they were false. And it lifted this weight off of me to be able to realize that I am not my job. And I can do other things. So you know, some people say, how do you deal with a headache 24 hours a day, seven days a week, tinnitus, fatigue? I don't ever, it reminds me of how blessed I am. Because I could choose to, to think of it another way. But here's the cool thing. You get to choose how you think about things. You choose. So I could think negatively, or I could choose to think of it as a blessing that led me on another much more fulfilling path that's going to impact way more people. So I choose that. Because I know I tried the other one, and it sucked. I tried thinking the other way for a couple of months and man, it was just a pit of despair, depression, BS, crap. It was, it was nothing. It was horrible. So when I chose to think differently and it didn't come just from me, it came from associating with people that helped me to think differently. You're not an island. As a SWAT guy, you need to be the tough guy. You need to be the guy that everyone can go to, the guy that solves everything. But when I realized I wasn't alone, I wasn't on an island and that there were people out there that were going to help me. Oh, 100%. Like we talked about earlier, you got to put that ego away. <laughs> and I still fight with it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I still fight with ego. I fight with ego every day. Every day if I would ego. I got testosterone. I have an ego. But you can work with it and you can learn how to work with your ego. Which is, and I've been able to watch part of it, right? And it's been so cool to be part of. So, with that, what's that, other than the headaches and the tinnitus and things like that? What are some of the side effects that have happened since? Um, well, I mean, at first it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of disbelief that I can do anything other than what I'm doing. And I don't know if it's just a law enforcement thing or if this is prevalent in most people's lives, but I think we really devalue what we have to bring. And you know, when, when I started looking for some way else to impact people, I actually got, I was suggested that I look at the financial industry by my advisor. <laughs> and my first words to him is, you know, I blow stuff up, right? I don't know if I have too many transferable skills. <laughs> but it got me to thinking, it intrigued me out to think, what skills do I have as a police officer that could be transferable? Well, I was a negotiator. I was an interrogator. I was a SWAT guy, so I'm great at teamwork and leading. 
you know, there were a lot of things that I'm like, wow, you know what, there are things outside the law enforcement world that I could actually be good at. And it also got me thinking, what was it that I actually did as a police officer? Right? I responded to these crimes. But when I really boiled down the cause of all the crime and social disorder that I had ever seen in my entire career, it all came down to money troubles. I'm like, wow, what if I take all these skills that were that I built responding to the problem and I looked at it from a different perspective and I said, hey, if I can go and educate people and help people prevent them from getting into the position where they're making bad decisions because, I mean, almost everything comes down to money. If I can prevent that from happening, I'll actually make a bigger impact in my community because I'll be working proactively rather than reactively. And that was my big shift. I was like, I don't have to change who I am. I'm going to use the skills I learned before. I'm going to take this blessing of this injury and I'm going to transform those skills into something that's going to serve people at a significantly higher level than anything I could have ever thought of doing as a police officer. So for someone listening, though, it sounds like it was just an easy perspective shift that you just like woke up one day and it was like, oh, my gosh, you know what? This horrific things just happened. I've lost 35 years of my identity. And now I'm going to just make this shift and everything's going to be okay. I mean, I'm sitting here going, oh, no, 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 no. It's not that easy. I just changed my mind. (laughs) Trust me, it's not that easy. So let's talk about that. So for someone listening, like I had my Julia Roberts moment. And what I mean by that is in um, Runaway Bride, Runaway Bride, I know, I know, old movie, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts, amazing show. But she had this moment where for people, if you haven't watched the movie, which you should, she has been to the altar. It was like, what, three or four times with different men. And she'd make it like most of the way up the aisle. And one of the scenes, like she literally is like dragging the flower girl holding onto her dress as she runs back out of the church. And this, this reporter is hearing about this and he's laughing and he thinks it's funny and he wants to write this story and pick apart this woman and like, why can she never make it to the altar? Like, what is wrong with her that she bails on all of her fiancés? And what he realizes is one of the things is she becomes everybody that she's with and she's totally lost her identity. She's totally lost her identity and she becomes it. And he realizes it in a way of, he's watching how she likes her eggs because he's interviewing all these guys and asking them questions. And one is like, oh, she... She loves scrambled eggs with me every morning and we'd go on motorbike rides and we whatever it was, right? And then the next one's like, egg wipes, done with, right? Like, and it's totally different every single time. And there was this moment where he makes her like every kind of egg you could possibly eat. And he's yelling at her that she doesn't even know what kind of eggs she wants or that she likes. And she's trying to justify it. And that when I watched that was such a big like shit moment for me because for myself there was so much of me that I was trying to hold of the old person to keep everybody around me healthy healthy and happy retaining who you know Dawn 1.0 had been and not change and shift too much because that made people around me scared yeah or uncomfortable or they didn't recognize that person But for me, it was this big aha moment in my life where I was like, I don't know what kind of eggs I like. Where that struggle came in, but also like that anger, that rage, that 
Like I, my husband laughs to this day. He always joked that I should have written my book is called PS. I made it, but he always joked that it should have been like, um, you haven't taken me out yet. God, because he came home from work one day and I was screaming at God. And I was like, I was just raging mad at everything I'd been through my life. And I was like, bring it on, big boy. You haven't taken me out yet. And I actually was screaming that in tears that God, and my husband walked in the door from work and he was like, oh boy, she's having a rough day. You know, I know. Can you imagine? I, I laugh now thinking about it. But okay, here we go. <laughs> so much of that was what my dream of my life what it should have been, right? What I wanted it to be, what I visioned it to be, all of those things. And now I'm sitting in this position where it's like, oh no, you can't go to school and you can't have that career and you can't have kids and you can't do all those things. And you're going to look different and sound different and not think the same and not feel the same and struggle with, again, like you migraines for the rest of your life. And, you know, all of these things. And when you're in that position, when you're in the depths of the hell of the shit, I want to talk about that for a second. Because I think that's what nobody talks about. And it's it's uh, actually, it's one of my rants, which is what started this whole podcast, was hearing speakers, reading books where it's like, life was horrible. Now I'm amazing. You should do the same. And it's like, no, no, no. Talk to me about what was it like in that? And then what did you actually tangibly do? Like, how hard is it? How did you self-sabotage? What did happen? What decisions did you make that you're not proud of? Do you know what I mean? It's like those things that is like, no, what was it really like in that place that someone else can feel seen and heard if you're willing to go there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think the big thing was I wanted to escape. And I would do anything not to think about what the next step was going to be, where I was going to go how it was going to impact my family, how I was going to need to change to be a different person. I mean, obviously, one of the things that everyone is concerned about is, hey, I got to be able to make money to pay the bills. So, you know, fortunately, the Edmonton Police Service is really good. It's not like they said, you have a brain injury, you're fired, right? They said, hey, we're going to find a place for you. It was the most mind-numbingly horrible position I could ever think of. And I still did some pretty cool things, but in general, it was absolute death to me. I went from a very high level to basically being a you know a, a big, you know counting ammunition registering seal numbers. Oh. And being of there's the big word of zero significance. I was significant before, now I'm not. You talked about that. How hard was that? Oh my god, that was that was my that was the big deal, right? And it wasn't until the first time we kind of sat down I came to that reality, right? This was years after I, I you know, I, I had left the police service already that we actually figured out that my big deal was I lacked significance again. And I'm a very significance driven person. I want to be significant in other people's lives. And when that was robbed of me, there was like dark, dark depression. Yeah. Right. I all of a sudden had to take all of these pills just to live every day. And there was a time I thought of taking them all. How dark did that depression go? Probably the the day that I realized it was going to kill me was when I went to work and I sat in my car and I looked at my access card key. Oh. And it was like, if I have to go in that building again, I'm going to kill myself. 
And that was when, wow, my kids, my grandkids, family, everyone else started, started, okay, I obviously, I can't do that. So what am I going to do? Because if I don't have something to look forward to, this will kill me. So for someone listening who's in that dark place, they're sitting in their car, looking at their job, looking at their business, looking at their home, looking at their whatever, right? I always used to say mine was in the shower, right? Standing in the shower crying because the water washes away those tears and no one will know. What is a piece of advice you would give to them in that moment? Shift or pivot their life even by one degree. That's a great word. I'm not, I'm not talking a massive mental shift. It's saying, hey, you're in the depths of depression. You need to find gratitude. No, no, no. That doesn't work. That doesn't work when you're in those moments, right? What is? What are one or two things that you would recommend to someone in that moment to help even like get them onto a different path? Well, here's the thing is when you're in that position, you don't see a finish line. Yeah. Like you, you can't even really see yourself in the game, let alone winning the game. A couple of things. Number one, know that you're not alone. You might think that you have a unique set of circumstances that no one else will understand or no one else can relate to, but you are not by far unique in your situation. And that's not a comment on a person individually. Your situation is not unique. There are a lot of people that will deal with what you're dealing with throughout throughout time. The second thing is I would just say, don't think of the finish line. Think about one more day. Get through that day. It's okay. Emotions are good around here. <laughs> so one of the side effects of brain injury, you get really emotional. So um, yeah. just get through that day. Every day you wake up, you have an opportunity to make a beautiful life. And if it sucks today, tomorrow can be a different day. If you're struggling today, tomorrow can be a completely different day. Just go one more day. Just one more. I've often said the greatest gift in the world is that we get to go to sleep and wake up again. Right? We we get a new 24 hours. Yeah, it resets everything. Yeah. So I think I think that's a big thing is to understand that you're not alone and you just have to get through the next moment. And maybe it's not even tomorrow. Maybe it's just the next five minutes. Maybe you're just having a real bad moment, not a bad day. You take that 15 seconds of that really crappy interaction with that bully or a bad interaction at work or road rage, someone cuts you off in traffic. You take that out of your day and your day was actually pretty good. But if you focus on that, that's going to... That's going to affect your entire day. So really think about what it is that is bothering you today. And if it is something monumental, because some people have really monumental things, and it might not be monumental to me because of whatever reason, I've worked on it, I've evolved past it, right? That doesn't change the struggle that that person is having. It's can't like people, I think sometimes people get stuck in the idea that, well, other people might have this problem. My problem is insignificant. No, it's significant to you. Don't belittle your situation, but also don't buy into it. How true is that? Because you could have a five minutes later, have an interaction that changes your entire day and your entire outlook. I've often looked at like how fast your shift, your state can shift, right? Like you can be having the best day ever. Someone says something or you read something or you hear something or whatever. Your entire state, your entire mood will shift in 10 seconds, which means it can shift back. Exactly. And it's, it's a perishable skill. And, you know, perfect example, you know, uh, yesterday morning, 
I am having a great morning. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. We've got a lot of great things going with our team. And I sit down and I talk to a potential client and they make a decision to me is like, are you kidding me? And it brought my energy from here to here. And man, I, and you know what, regardless of how hard you work on this stuff, it is still work every day not to let these things impact you. It's like a perishable skill. If you don't practice it every day, you're going to lose it, right? No different than any other sporting activity, any other craft, anything, you know, dexterity related. If you don't practice on a consistent basis, it's going away. And I had to really get myself out of that funk and bring my energy level back up. For me, but also for my family and my team. Because if I go and I start walking into a room and my energy is low, the entire room knows it. And they deserve better. And when I go home, my family definitely deserves better. They definitely deserve better than what one person said to me at nine o'clock in the morning. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's never going to be. It'll get easier because of experience and everything. Well, because it is a muscle. It is a muscle that you build. And most, I don't think a lot of people realize yeah. that is that it's not magic. No. I, for myself, when someone is like, wow, you're so positive, you're so positive. I'm like, oh, I have my down days. But this is a muscle I've built to be able to overcome, to be able to bounce back, right? I always say my bounce back is real fast. Yeah. And it gets faster. Like stuff can get real dark and I bounce back really quick. But that's because I've bounced back so many yeah. times. At the beginning, I bet you didn't. No. Oh my gosh. And at the beginning, no. what was that like? It was like um it was like, you know, completing a marathon to bounce back at the beginning. Oh, hundred percent it was. But now it's like, okay, I'm bouncing back faster. I'm still not bouncing back as fast as I want. Yeah. But that comes with practice. It comes with time. And Man, if it seems hard to bounce back at the beginning, just think about what the alternative is if you don't work on it. Living in that darkness the rest of your life. Which you and I have had that conversation. It's not worth it. And we've both laid there in those hospital beds, you know, wishing you were dead. And yeah, it's, and this isn't saying that it's easy always on the other side. No. This week, like, oh my gosh, this week I'm dealing with side effect garbage of a brain aneurysm that happened like 24 years ago and like this week there's stuff coming up and my husband's laughing about it he's like of course of course that's still happening for you and you know i can i can laugh it off but sometimes it's super frustrating right but i know for myself one of the things that i've often looked at is ask for help if someone is listening to this and they're in that spot ask ask for help reach out to somebody. If you can't afford to hire someone like me, if you can't afford to go to therapy, if you can't afford some of those things, there's always options. There are always options and free services out there that you can access. But we also have the internet. We have books, we have all of these things, but more importantly, reach out to your people. Even if you've pushed them away so hard, which is often what we do when we're in those states because we don't want them to see us as weak or see us as broken or see us as less than or any of those things. Call one person, text one person and be like, hey, I'm not doing too well. Can we talk? And start there because often it's even just saying it. It's saying what's going on is so powerful in helping you even start 
even just starting to process it. Another thing that I started doing years ago too, when I was in those states was what I called a three and three. And my three and three was what are three things in life that are actually going okay right now? Because sometimes I couldn't use the word good right? (laughs) or well, it was like, they're going okay. And three things that actually make me happy. I'm not talking in a gratitude way because that's really hard when you're in the depths of your hell and things and you're feeling totally lost, right? I'm talking about like, there were days that I'd be like, today I had a good hair day. Today, (laughs) no one pissed me off in traffic. These things are going well. Or my bedroom is clean. That's it. That's all I got. Those are my three things in life that are going really well right now or going okay. But other days it was like, hey, today was a good day. Today I actually had a cool conversation with somebody. Today I cooked an amazing meal. Or hey, right now my job's going really well or this relationship's going really well. And then the three things that made me happy are always silly things, right? I always say to people, they don't allow them to involve anybody else because people can give you happiness and take it away just as fast, right? This is the joy of happiness versus joy. It's looking at it and going, okay, What are three things that make me really happy? Hugging an inanimate object. I know that sounds really weird. I love hugging inanimate objects. Your tree. (laughs) Yes, I hug trees. I hug. I was just in Vancouver for work for a week and all the Christmas stuff is out. And I was like, and I'm with this poor woman who's never met me. And I was literally like, can you take a picture of me hugging this big plastic moose? And she was like, you're the strangest human. But within like half an hour of me doing this, she was laughing her head off and helping me find weird things to hug. Yeah. I don't know why. I love it. (laughs) I'll post a picture in the show notes of me hugging weird shit in Vancouver. But like, it makes me happy. A perfect cup of hot coffee makes me so happy. There is nothing like that first sip of a hot cup of coffee and the feeling that that gives when you take it, right? Like, If you actually stop for a moment and like, give it a second, it's so good. Dancing in my car to an amazing song, which right now my favorite is Vegas by Doja Cat or whoever that is. I don't even know who it is. I heard this song. It was like, that's a dance in a car song. Don't worry, we'll have links to all this in the show notes. (laughs) But these are the things that I can now easily sit down and I could list off a hundred things that make me happy. But guess what? It started with one and one. And then I went to two and two, and then I went to three and three, where every morning I'd be like, okay, I got to find something. I got to find something. And it got easier and easier and easier. And that was a big piece of it. And I also want to mention when you talked about looking at like who you were before and who you are now, who were you as a police officer? Who were you as a SWAT member? What were your morals, your values, your ethics, your standards? What about that job did you love? What about that life did you love? What character traits could you take from that to move into a new career? Mm-hmm. I think that is so powerful because our identities are so often caught in what we do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right? But how do you move that into something different? How like and and how how do we do that? And so for you, is there anything outside of your work and what you do now? Is there anything even on the personal end that are like your weird quirky things that are still you after? 
Oh yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff, right? Like I'm 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 a big football guy, so my idea of a perfect day is a Sunday anywhere between Saturday or September and January. Uh, just sitting down on a Sunday and watching football all day yeah. and eating some nachos, right? Just and just make the day. I can shut my brain off. I don't have to think about anything else. It's yeah. just pure joy for me. Other things that, you know, I, I've incorporated that have become kind of quirky. Well, maybe not quirky, but um, I have I have a, a morning routine now that I never used to have. But it's a morning routine that sets up my entire day for positivity, gratitude, looking at things on the bright side, yeah. right? I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is I think about what I'm grateful for. And I actually have a gratitude journal. And the first thing I'm grateful for Every morning is my wife. She's amazing. Most amazing human being walking the face of the earth. Sorry, but she... Oh, no, it's okay. She's magical. I know her. I love her. Yeah. Um, the, the next thing I do is I go through affirmations and I read my goals. But I don't read yeah. practical goals, right? I mean, I do read some practical goals. This, this is what I want to accomplish today, this month, this quarter, this year, whether it's personal, whether it's business, whatever it is. But I have a I have a list. I have I have like an entire list that I'm I'm still working on because I haven't finished it. The 101 things that I would do if time and money were of no consequence. Oh, fun. And it's hard. You might think, oh, I got lots of things. Yeah, you might have 30 or 40 things. Try getting to 100. Yeah. Because we limit our belief in ourselves. We limit what we think is possible. And so we we're almost conditioned in life right now not to dream. Oh, 100%. Yeah. A lot of people, they, they take their dreams and they shrink it into the number that appears at the bottom of their paycheck every two weeks. If it doesn't fit into this number, I can't do it. And they get conditioned to be in kind of that 40-40-40 club, I call it, right? It's going, getting a good education so you can get a good job to work 40 hours a day a, a week for 40 years of your life to retire on 40% of what you can't afford to live on today. And we take all the things we wanted to do when we were kids, whether it was be a space cowboy, a ballerina, you wanted to ride a unicorn, the most outlandish things we wanted to do as kids. And life teaches us at some point, small. Stop dreaming. And stop dreaming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an epidemic. Oh, I agree. It's horrible. And when I sit down with people, one of the first things, and this is what really throws them off because no one's ever asked them this before, is I ask them. Time and money were of no consequence. What would you be doing right now? Where would you be? Who would you be? Right? Would it be a big house? Would it be like, I'm a massive Miami Dolphins fan. One of my top 101 is I want to own the Miami Dolphins. Oh, that's fun. Because then I can make them play me. I'm the quarterback <laughs> today, right? No, obviously that's a little bit far-fetched. I'm too old to do that now. But, but that is one of my goals, right? How many people have dreams like that? I want a private jet. So that I'm not limited with where I can go, when I can go. And I also have some other personal reasons for that as well. My, my mom is at a, a point in her life where it's very uncomfortable for her to travel. But I think she still deserves to see the world. So why not travel in comfort? That's beautiful. Would you be willing to share even a few of the items on your list for people so that they can have an idea of what to look for and what yeah. to think about? That'd be amazing. So I'll get Vic to send me even like 10, 10 or 15 of the ones on your list, just so that 
listeners, so that you guys can have something to even just start dreaming yourself because it is, it's so powerful when you actually can start dreaming and thinking outside of your life. Sure. And honestly, that's what gives you like the motivation to get out of bed some days is knowing you have this insane dream, even if it never happens. It's just like having this crazy obscene dream, right? Vic, I want to end our time together today with asking you just some silly questions. All right, bring it on, sister. Okay, just some silly fun questions like I do with everybody. And yes, everyone check the show notes so you can figure out how to get a hold of Vic too, if you're interested in any of the work that he does. So what is the favorite place you've ever traveled? Favorite place I've ever traveled? Um, I'm very, very partial to um, the Mayan Riviera. I love the Mayan Riviera. I love Mexico. However, my favorite trip ever was to Monterey, California. I know we were talking about it just a little while ago, right? Oh, such a great area. For a number of reasons, though. It's not just the the area. It's what I was doing when I was there. I was surrounded by associations that stretched my belief, stretched my thinking, and I was with my wife. Yeah. Because I'd been there before, but not with her. Oh, that is so fun. This was way better. Um, my next Miami. I for my 40th birthday, I went to Miami to uh, watch a Miami Dolphins football game. It was the very first time I'd ever seen an NFL game, and it was a goal of mine since I was about 12 years old. Oh, that is fun! They're fun. The energy down there is nuts. I've been to a couple games. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's so fun. That that would that would be my my two top ones. Awesome. What do you spend a silly amount of money on personally? Hmm. A silly amount of money. I see. I don't think I'm a real big spender. I mean, well, no. But do you have yeah. a thing? I love going out and eating good food. I can make good food at home, but I like the atmosphere of being out at a nice restaurant with my queen, and we're enjoying a nice meal, maybe a glass of wine, um, being in the presence of other people. So I think, you know, if there was one place that I could probably save a lot of money, that would be the place. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 What is a purchase of $100 or less that you've made in like recent, in the last like even six months that has most positively impacted your life? Um, I bought uh, a subscription to Straight Line Thinkers, which is a podcast uh, done by uh, Rich Tholly. He has a whole bunch of stuff on there. And I listen to that every day. And it is something that builds my mindset because like we said before, your mindset can deteriorate over time by not immersing yourself and growing. If we're not growing, we're dying. It is an irrefutable law of nature. And so if you're not willing to grow, grow your mindset, grow personally, um, you're going to put yourself in a, in a bad position. So that's probably the best purchase I've made in the last year that was under 100 bucks. It was actually 50 bucks. Amazing. I think that one of the common threads of our entire talk today, Vic, has been make the decision. Choose that you want something to be different in your life. Choose that you're not going to continue to suffer and you're actually going to fight for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then these little tiny actions. And so much of it comes down to the headspace. So much of it comes down to your mindset. And so much of it comes down to not buying into the bullshit story in your head that you're damaged or you're broken or you can't be redeemed or healed or any of those things. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I, I recommend to people, you know, if some people are a little bit more logical. If you're more logical like me, uh, one thing that really helped me was reading Dr. Joe Dispenza. Learn why. 
Oh, he has, he has cool learn, stuff. Learn about your brain. Learn about why things happen the way they do. Learn about the energy. You know, it's actually a scientific thing. It's not some new age kind of pie in the sky, hit in the clouds type of stuff. It's funny, all the woo-woo stuff. Everyone's like, oh, no, that's weird. And I'm like, no, no, no energy is science. Yep, 100% science. It's molecules and atoms. We're just walking vibrations. Yep. So if you're that logical person, read Dr. Joe Dispenza. He puts out some amazing stuff. That and But he's very... Um, he's very logical about it, but he also doesn't talk in really big un- uh, words that people can't understand. Yes, I have a couple of his books. I highly recommend yeah, 100%. them. 100%. So that'll change your life. Love it. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Vic. Listeners, I hope that you got a few amazing takeaways and that you check out the show notes at thetaylorway.ca for more information, information on how to contact Vic, connections and links to all of the things that we've talked about today, the places, the books, the podcasts, all of it. And I hope you stick around for our next episode in two weeks. So if you're willing, please subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you love the show, it would mean the world to me if you'd leave a rating and review. Talk to you guys soon.